another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. As you have probably deduced from selecting this episode to play in your podcast player, uh, we have reached the official end of the extended off-season interview series. Now, there is a good chance it could be starting up again in the next <laughs> month or so. <laughs> When when football gets canceled and we're all like, crap, what do we do now? But for now, we're going to put that aside and bury our heads in the sand and act like real football is happening. So uh, we'll we'll do our usual housekeeping stuff here. <laughs> we'll do some very abbreviated COVID news because so much happened in the last week that if we wanted to talk about all of it, we would do like an hour and a half long pod just on that. So we we we're saying before the show that we we ourselves have earned just some straight up football talk. And so we are going to take the majority of this episode to do just that. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, we're just, if, if we're shelving ideas for later, we're just going to have to do a top, top 10 most ridiculous COVID stories. If we need to pull that up later, because there've been some wild ones. So um, we will get to that. Uh, let's see. We're recording this and it is August and rice is scheduled to play football in September which is crazy that we're less than 30 days from the season starting. So uh, with that said, if you haven't picked up a copy of the season preview yet and you are a Rice fan, uh, we've said it just about every week, but you you really need to get this. Carter and I are... What are you even doing with your life at this point, quite frankly? I, yeah, I don't know. Ignoring us, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes that's a good idea. But in this case... <laughs> yeah, well, also, like, what are you doing listening to this podcast, right? Like, you're you're all in on Rice Sports enough that you are listening to this podcast and you haven't picked up this season preview yet? Like, I... Like, I don't, I don't, I don't quite understand how your priorities align, I guess is what I'm saying there. 109 players on the Rice roster that was just released before fall camp gets underway. And there are 109 uh, names mentioned in that preview. I'm going to, we, you know, we've hit on the the backup long snapper plenty. We salute <laughs> you, Chris saying, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. We get, we're going to get to uh, today breaking down some of the positions, but I mean, we're probably not going to go six hours. We could, uh, I promise you, you could read for six hours and you probably might not get through all of the preview. And regardless of who ends up on the schedule, all of the player information is 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 good and, and lots of information and notes from uh, folks on staff, what I've seen, and just uh, general inklings and takeaways from the year. So there's that. And then as eventually they will open up camp and have access, they're kind of doing a walkthroughs and, and stuff this week. I uh, haven't had it. Uh, I will clarify this. We haven't had any official word yet as to what Rice's plans are for fall camp at time of recording. That could change. Um, I mean, the season could change at this point. So TBD for everything. But uh, they are, uh, you know, back to meetings and, and walkthroughs and, and such. So once they let media back in and start opening up for, for practices, we're going to have practice reports. That's all going to be plugged in on our patreon page for our subscribers so i just went ahead and dropped uh actually thursday uh put up a kind of some brief takeaways and some thoughts on the roster as a whole as i was going through it there's um, a good amount of information that's just kind of tucked away more than just names so i wanted y'all to get that you subscribe to us on patreon you'll have all the practice updates all the recruiting updates 
and everything. So there's a lot there. You're not going to want to miss it. And I think that brings us to all of our housekeeping stuff, which means we can, we promise short, short update on COVID, which at this point, have any of our updates, not, I'm not going to say they've not been relevant, Carter, but they've been superseded in like the day after we recorded yeah. with more and more news. Which but, means the like CUSA will probably announce vast modifications to the schedule like Friday in the day intervening between when we record this and when it posts. But, you know, we're going to we're going <laughs> to we're going to power through and hit on that next week. We have we have three tidbits that actually I don't think can be wrong. In the, Well, at least two of them can't be wrong because they're pure cancellations. So <laughs> maybe the third one is. So the first off is the NCAA. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Board of Presidents, Counselors. They keep shuffling off the decisions between the various different like obscure and poorly named bodies that may or right. may not be part of the NCAA. There's no one person to point a finger at because they have complicated names but yeah the end of it is division two and division three will not be holding championships this year per the ncaa uh, at, at this point uh, basically every d3 cons conference had canceled there were a couple of holdouts um but there will be no championship game i guess if you wanted to go rogue and just like have three teams play a round robin season you could but but that probably means no D3 football this year. And the same for D2 that also came out this week. So no D3, no, DT, no D2 football. We've had some pretty major FCS conferences that just came out. The Big Sky is done. Uh, I think the Pioneer League is also um, leaning towards not doing football this fall so by the time you hear this we could officially be done with fcs football but for the time being no d2 no d3 uh less fcs and we have our first fbs program that has punted on the we'll say the 2020 season but maybe just their program in total if you listen to our houston podcast last week yeah um the, the jokes basically write themselves about UConn, uh, if, if you hadn't heard the news already. It is UConn that has officially canceled its football season. Uh, the jokes write themselves about them being the first FBS program to cancel, but all I'll say about this is that I saw like a UConn account posting this news um, a couple of days ago when it happened, and the way this person described it was, in a month or so, the people who made this decision at UConn are going to look they're either going to look prescient or they're either going to look like uh, like foolish reactionaries, basically. Um, and I don't think they're going to look like foolish reactionaries. So um, all, all I can say is that, that that sentiment seems just about right to me. But uh, we'll try not to think about that because hey, we'll be very sad when it happens. And now we have back-to-back -back podcast with the Yukon mention. And if that doesn't tell you what kind of year 2020 has been, <laughs> <laughs> where Yukon football is front and center, oh my. I mean, how many, how many other college football podcasts, period, have ever mentioned Yukon in back-to-back -back shows? Like, 
it can't be a long list. You know, when when people, if you're looking for superlatives, say say you were going to leave us a five star review. S- say that was what you you felt like doing right now. <laughs> How many other podcasts mention UConn in back to back shows? You you can put that on there. We're I mean maybe top two, and we're not two, huh? Yeah, when we uh w- when we put this episode on the the podcast feed, we'll just have to put the uh the old. <laughs> for those of you that have seen the sad husky face logo that was the old Yukon mascot, we'll uh we'll we'll throw that one up at this episode. Yeah, that'll be good. And then hopefully hopefully I don't know. Maybe at this point, like, do we just need to sneak Yukon in or we'll see. We'll take it, we'll take it show by show. Just kind of how we've made it through the last four, five months, however many months. They're yeah, all running together. Been... And Last bit of non-Rice news before we dive into our offensive previews, our previews of the offense, not offensive previews. Clarifying, maybe. The battle for the Palladium is being renewed, scheduled to be renewed this coming fall. And if you didn't know what that was, don't worry. That's where I was before I Googled it about 45 seconds ago. It is the rivalry that began in 1936 between the Troy Trojans and the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. Ra- Raiders? Raiders. Uh, Wikipedia says it's the oldest rivalry in the Sun Belt Conference. Which is a slightly outdated bit of information. And also, if you look at that Wikipedia article. Well, from when they were back in the Sun Belt together, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. But also, uh, it was first played in 1936. It has a trophy. The Palladium is the trophy that they play for. Uh, they've only played 20 times in their history. Wait, this is a good question. Alf, not to get too far to tangent, but how many times do you have to play before you get a trophy? I feel like it's got to be more than 20, right? Well, shoot, if you're playing twice in the same year, and maybe I buried the lead with that. Right now, the, <laughs> the schedule for the Battle of Palladium, it's two games, a home-and-home that are expected to take place both this year. I believe they're going to, um, oh, did I have, I had my notes up there. They're starting at Troy and ending the season at, at Middle Tennessee. I might've gotten that flip flop, but the point is they're scheduled to play twice, which would get their rivalry game count total up to 22. If everything 10% increase, this is good. And then, you know, next week we'll figure out what the, the total is for, uh, games played for for trophies which Actually, just paves the way for our our idea for the the you know everything else gets canceled this year you just have a rice uh i was about to say subway series but i guess in that case you might call it a light rail series Ooh ooh ooh! i have one more egregious for you <laughs> so I was, I was just thinking so when when texas a&m moved to the sec they had to get a quote permanent cross division rival and they were yes. assigned South Carolina. So up until that point, A&M and South Carolina hadn't met. And they uh, was is the, is the James Bonham Trophy, I believe. They made a trophy for that? Yeah. So James oh. Bonham Trophy, I believe that's correct. Yep. Two schools competing for the Bonham Trophy. So... 
there you go. A trophy between A&M and South Carolina before the rivalry had even, well, we're not going to call it a rivalry, before the, <laughs> the game had even begun. Because South Carolina has yet to win. That was the uh, the Kenny Trill Yeah, debut. I was going to say, how dare you disp- disparage uh, the legacy of the great Kenny Trill? TM. He- Heisman winner <laughs> Kenny Trill. Hey, no, no, no. The Heisman did not happen. He did trademark the uh, the catchphrase. <laughs> Sorry, I should have said September Heisman winner. There you go. So, yeah, so they're up to six games in that series so far. So apparently you need zero. To we have have established the minimum. There there is a lower bound. (laughs) Is all we strive to do on this. All right. And with that, I think we've covered all of our uh, non rice news. Yep. At least that's on my notes. So for the next hour or so, we're going to talk about just rice football. And I'm smiling from ear to ear. Uh, we're just, just going to put everything else aside. All, all external concerns and questions about the viability or wisdom of playing a football season. And we're just going to pretend that that season is happening. Yes, and we have kind of done a little bit of homework so we're somewhat prepared and <laughs> you know prepared enough and, and i have notes and everything yeah there you go i have notes there's a I, I might i might another plug i might just be you know giving you snippets from my preview i'm not going to give it all to you because then you would you wouldn't you wouldn't go get it you got to read it it's all in there but it'll be in there so i kind of thought that we would kind of take this position by position and so we've kind of pulled stuff together um, so if I were to kind of kick things off and spring this on you, <laughs> because why not? So we have quarterbacks, running backs, fullbacks, must mention fullbacks, tight ends, wide receiver, offensive line. That's six position groups. Uh, if you had to pick one, what group are you most confident in this season? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I guess I would say wide receiver. All right. Yeah. Should we start there? Sure. I feel pretty good about that. Okay, so first off, uh, how do we want to go through this? How about you pitch me your reasons you're confident, and I'll give you some challenges, and then we can go the other way. Yeah, the basic uh, the basic argument for wide receiver, I think, is the presence of Austin Trammell and Brad Rosner. Like, you know what you're getting there, basically. And unlike, say, an offensive line, maybe, where you can feel pretty confident in some of the starters and you don't know quite maybe what you're going to get in some of the other positions, and that can kind of have, cause you some doubt for the unit as a whole, like... Trammell and Rosner are, are probably like they're two thirds of what you're you're basically starting at wide receiver. And, you know, if there's inconsistency at that third position, the two of them can still produce. And they both have very proven track records um, from either last year in Rosner's case or the past two years in Trammell's case. Um, so, you know what you're getting in those two. And then of the other guys there's no one that's proven, but I mean, I can count four, maybe five guys 
that could potentially emerge as like a true number three wide receiver this season. And sure, probably not all of those guys are going to pan out, but you got to figure one of them might. Right. So I would, like, I would think so. Yeah. And, and as you kind of talk through this and I think about it, like we, when we think about conference USA offenses, I'm, to say rice is probably not at the top of the list right now at least what we've seen so far but rice is returning two of the top 10 returning let me say that again rice has two of the 10 you know what i'm saying how do i say this top 10 returning receivers top 10 returning receivers rice has two of them and and trammell and, and and rosner and you know maybe if the offense as a whole had had been more spectacular last season or the yardage totals had had been a bit higher you know maybe that would be getting more pub but there's there's not a coach in this conference that would turn down having two top 10 receivers and and I'm you know with Trammell I I think it's a pretty safe you know honestly maybe with both of them just talent wise you know Trammell might not have the the pure athleticism as some of the top end guys in conference USA, but his consistency and just trustworthiness. And I mean, offensive captain, the go-to guy, like you have him and, and Brad Rosner, like you're right. I, I don't know how you could start with as far as the, the upper end of the position, you know, confidence wise, my, my pushback if if that's what it is, is the fact that last season, you know, we sat here and we talked through guys and at, at the time in the preseason, it was Aaron Cephas and Austin Trammell. And we said, OK, there's a one, two. Can we get anybody else? Well, you know, by default, that that's not giving him credit. Brad Rosner sees the job and, and had an incredible season. And I, and I want to give him that. But uh, beyond that, it, you know, August Pete. And Zay Knipe was hurt. Jake Bailey uh, had a couple plays here and there. Um, it, it there wasn't and there wasn't enough consistency, maybe in the offense as a whole, to support anybody else. And so I guess that that's my as we you know look forward to this coming season. My my curiosity is peaked at okay. I'm pretty confident there's talent. I know there's a lot of talent in the room. But what's going to what's going to be different uh, about this coming season that's going to enable those guys to step up? You know, that's kind of the question that I'm I'm asking myself is trying not to get baited into the preseason like everyone's great. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, right. I think the concern for this group is one that you you could get what you had last year, which is um I don't know, you you have some guys like, say, Bailey and Knipe, who are both kind of smaller guys or maybe dealing with injuries. Um, neither Pete or maybe Christian McSravick kind of steps up and, and really proves themselves. And then you could also have an issue where you just, and, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the quarterbacks themselves, obviously, but, you know, there is really no outside of three games at the end of last year, there isn't a track record of consistency for quarterbacks on this team under this coaching staff. And if you don't have that level of consistency at quarterback, there's only so much your wide receivers can do. So I can look at this group and say, you've got two great starters 
And if even just a couple of the backups pan out, you could have a really, really deep, really, really talented group. Well, wide receiver is a position where you can be as talented as deep as you want. If the quarterback play isn't there, it's not going to do a whole lot for your offense. Well, and, and let's like, let's, let's be honest. If you're telling me right now that the floor of this position in 2020 is Austin Trammell and Brad Rosner combined for 1500 yards and call it, well, well, how many games are we playing? <laughs> you know, if, yeah, we're, right. if, if we're playing a 12 game season and, and, you know, a comparable stat line of like 1500 yards and like yeah. eight Pro, to 10 touchdowns, prorate like, that to a, you know, a 10 game, 11 game season. Right. But if, if you can, if I can get 1500 yards out of those two and eight to 10 touchdowns, that's, and that's the floor. Now, now, now I'm having more buy-in as, as, as the offense as a whole. If, if you're telling me from that point, like, and I think the difference between last year and this year in this receiving core is Rice didn't have speed that was healthy. Right. And I think that's something that we saw. So Zane Knipe had one reception last year. It went, I think it was 42 yards. Was that the official count? So he averaged 42 yards a catch. <laughs> I should probably have that official number um, pulled up in, in front of me. That's not going to be his average this year. Uh, maybe I would be okay with that. That'd be great. Yeah. But, uh, but that nonwithstanding, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah. 42 yards. And uh, that's pretty good. But you have Zane Knipe who has, you know, legit track speed and, and he's on the roster. You have Christian McStravick who came over from, from Boston college this off season and, you know, didn't really play much at BC uh, injuries were actually a, a good portion of, of what was going on there. And so he really hasn't had a been healthy enough to con- contribute much. He play much didn't, catch too many passes so you got that and then we haven't even hit on yet Andrew Mason who is crazy fast and I think we might have hit on talked about this a little bit when we're covering the incoming recruiting class he had he had the massive what was it eight touchdown game yeah and and did it did it with a broken hand which is you need hands to catch the football (laughs) I have been told I don't have that level of athleticism, but if you're telling me you got you got Austin Trammell and Brad Rosner as your your two guys that you can kind of cement in there, and then you have three possibilities of guys who can take the top off of the defense, then I don't have to bet. Like I feel like last year at this point we're like, well, we have Zane Knipe and he's going to do it, and he very well might do it when he's healthy. But I feel a lot better <laughs> saying that having multiple options yeah, right. between Zane Knipe and Andrew Mason and Christian McStravick. And like, and honestly, this is, man, I have to think all the way back to, you know, the spring when Rice had spring practice, uh, August Pete was honestly probably one of the guys that I was most impressed with during spring practice, because I feel like last year when he played, he kind of played timid. And he's not like a big body guy, you know, like maybe Rosner going to push people out of the way. Uh, but he was physical and he went up and got balls over defenders in the spring. And so I feel better about him now than I did at this point last year. And at, at this point, maybe I think the biggest win on the wide receiver front 
is that we can list, you know, probably a starting three. We'll call it Rosner, Trammell, and I, I guess probably McStravick on the outside to begin with. I, I don't yeah. really know. Probably. That's a, a good guess. But we have those three. And then we have four or five guys. Like, this year, we should have more than, like, three guys that catch eight passes or right. <laughs> however much the number was like last year it was it's going to trammel or it's going to rosner and there was no creativity behind that this year we're looking through and i'm like shoot there's several guys that are going to get a catch or two a game and that's going to change the complexion of how this offense looks right I, i think one of the traps that optimistic fans can fall into in the preseason is that you assume too many possibilities like you, you'll look at a unit and you say, oh, if this guy takes a step and this guy takes a step and this guy takes a step, then this unit's going to be great. Well, none of those things are assured. And so maybe like player A does take that step and player B improves a little bit, but not as much as you hoped he would. And player C doesn't get better or regresses or is hurt or whatever. Then, you know, that's when you don't get the results you're expecting. But the great thing about having a unit like this is, Okay, you need somebody to step up and you don't know who that's going to be, but you don't need all of them to. You only need one, maybe two of them. It'd be great if, great if you can get as many as possible, but all you need really is one and you have several possibilities for that to happen with. That is when I think it's reasonable to say, okay, we need somebody to step up, but it's reasonable to assume that someone will when you have this many possibilities and you don't need all of them to pan out. Well, and let's play, let's not be optimistic, but let's play the what's most likely to happen game. So if I'm just going at, at 2019 production and I'm looking at receiving yards of the, the people who are on the roster this year that are going to catch passes for rice in 2020, I'm looking at 2019 numbers, Andrew to Sangios. Did I get that right? To Sangios? He is a grad transfer from Richmond. He caught six passes last year for 57 yards. That puts him fifth among returning yards leaders on the team this year. So Rosner Trammell, Pete had one Rosner 770, Trammell 726, Pete with 144, Jordan Myers with 123, and to Sangios with 57. I don't think it's a stretch to say your number five pass catcher, including tight ends, has more than 57 yards. Well, even just having a number three that has more than 140 yards, you know, if you have two in the 700s and another guy who's got like 500 or something like that, like yeah, that you would tell- be a huge step forward. With this you tell me team. one of the fast guys catches two 40-yard bombs? Like, doesn't even have to score. Just catches two of them in the season. Right. Like, he's going to get more than 140 receiving yards. So, it's a a strange combination with the receivers of, like, we feel like there was a floor of some sort last year, but also the talent that's already there is good, and we have enough quantity of options that somebody will be okay to pretty good who could be excellent if they get enough of the ball. I, I if right. if you threw the ball at Andrew Mason 50 times like 
Brad Rosner led the team with five receiving touchdowns last year. If you put the ball in in Mason's hand 50 times, I feel pretty confident he's going to get five touchdowns. Well, all right. Shall we wrap up and move on to another position? I like it. Do I have to go next? Uh, Let's see. We're making up the rules as we go. Wide receiver was technically your position, so I can... uh... I can grab one and take one of mine for the next one. How about running back? How about running back? All right. I like it. Let's see. So running back, let's start with, I'll let you kick this off. You, you have, you have the extensive notes. This is going to be the best position preview we've put together so far. Yeah. The big thing here is really Juma. If he is healthy and, that's a big it because it's been a question so far in his career. Then I think you're looking at having a starting running back that is flat out the most talented that they've had in uh, under the staff. Um, I mean, Ooh. I think we, we all remember the old dominion game in 2018. Um, this guy's just got when he's at full speed, he's just got a little juice that I'm not sure they've had with other guys. Like I, I, I there were a couple of carries in like the Marshall game last year where you could see him take the handoff and hit a gap and just explode through a tight space in a way that uh, it's been a long time since I, I'm, I'm not sure I can think of a rice running back that you saw that could do that. Like as much good production as they got from the, from the Walter twins over the last two years. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking through. I'm like, man, Austin Walter might have some, some hang up with that, but I'm kind of thinking through, I'm like, Austin was like, he was, the jack of all trades is kind of like seeing this, maybe not a positive thing, but as far as versatility and just like a pure offensive weapon, like Austin was phenomenal, could do block, run, catch, could do everything. If you're talking like a pure downhill running back, intellectual brutality, um, yeah, I might be able to get. I hadn't thought about that till you mentioned it. Yeah, I could get behind a a, a healthy a healthy ot. Otaviano. Yeah, was- so so that that's the big thing for this position. Um, and it's kind of both the, you know, if we're looking at from from the making the case either way, I mean that's kind of what it hinges on, right? Like what's the good outcome for this position is that he stays healthy pretty much the whole year. And it, it's funny, as much as we've made, I, I feel like going into each of the past two seasons we felt like they had a lot of depth at running back, but it kind of ended up in both seasons just being um, the prevailing Walter at the time. (laughs) I'm about to say, we always had a Walter in our back pocket. Yeah, being the bell cow back. Um, So, I don't know. Is is Juma built to do that? Um, He's a bit smaller than both of them were. Obviously, he has had injury problems in his career. Um so maybe even if he stays healthy, you kind of want to get some carries to some other guys just to keep him fresher. Um, but if he is healthy, they really have such a dynamic player in him as their their primary running back that I think you, you're going to do a lot of great things in the running game if he's there. Uh, the flip side is that if he's not healthy, well, Cam Montgomery, um, if they get him... It, you know, if he solves his fumbling issues and kind of earns the trust back of the staff, he can do a lot of different things, but he's five, five, 160 pounds. Like he's not going to be a 
he's not going to carry the ball 20 times in a game between the tackles. Um, and then you have some great options in, in Jawan King uh, and, and Kalen Griffin, who are, I think both have a great mix and kind of speed and power that could lead you to seeing them as like, you know, future, future featured backs on this team, but neither one has a collegiate carry. Um, so if you have a nightmare scenario where, where Juma just can't stay on the field, like he, like was like with last year, then I don't know. It's not guaranteed to be bad at running back. Cause one of those guys could step up, but you just have nothing proven if, if Juma is not out there. Okay. Those are good points, but you're forgetting one thing from a previous podcast, the third string running back. That is the secret. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was this true, true. Was it the Marshall, the Marshall show we're talking back with Brendan Knox? Was that it? Maybe I not. They're all so. running together. Yeah, no. I feel, again, it feels like every time we had a Conference USA guest on, they were gushing about how great their running back was. Yeah, well, we we did talk about uh, all of them at this point. Uh, we got to, we we a lot of Conference USA guests, but I will say so. I'm. I, you're going to have to hold me back. I'm trying not to put all my hype train chips on Kalen Griffin. Um, watching him play in college was, or college, high school, he was one of those kids that, you know, every school gets to a point where, like, you are our most talented player, so do everything. Be quarterback, be running back, yeah. like, whatever. That That was Griffin. He could do all that. And he ended his senior season was was right around you know five ten like two hundred pounds. Rice put the official roster out this week, and they have him up at two fifteen. Oh, all and, right. You know, I don't know if he's been eating his Wheaties or what's been going on <laughs> over over quarantine. But if you put him at five ten two fifteen, I mean, that's that's you know, solid. That's that's. that's... A really That's, nice build, yeah. I mean, Jawan King's probably the only guy, you know, I'm looking at the roster right now has has King at um at 228, Ari Broussard 215, Kalen Griffin at 215. Um, you know, we really haven't gotten to see much of of Jawan King. Like he has some acceleration and some juice. Um uh, Kalen Griffin, just the agility that he has and the home run ability. I'm you know, at this point, like, I really, 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 really hope Juma stays healthy. But if for any reason he's not there, I it would not shock me to say, you know, Kalen Griffin, you're getting 15 carries a game. And in this offense, you add that with somebody with a breakout ability, you know, similar to Juma. I'm yeah. really excited about what he has to bring to the table. And then on the breakout front, you mentioned Cam Montgomery. and Man, I remember coming into last year and the run he got in in, in fall camp and him I'm trying to remember what game it was. Fumbling stats, they don't do a very good job of tracking anywhere. I wonder why. <laughs> That's just a college football thing. It's kind of hard to yeah. trace that down as far as like a, a game by game unless you're reading through, you know, play by play. Um, but he, I, he, I remember he put the ball on the ground at the beginning of the season and just boom, bench. And this spring, there were multiple occasions where just somebody just took off from 60 yards away and just left everyone in the dust to the point where, like, I turned my head. and I'm like, who is that? And it, it was Cam. <laughs> like, 
he is that home run threat missile. Yeah, that, he's got that 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 Trendon Holiday, that Darren Sproles. Trendon, uh, that is a good name. Yeah, Man, flash from uh, the past, former Houston Texan. The Texans and the Broncos. Um, you I mean, know, I remember, I remember him at LSU, but like, if you're fast enough to just stay on an NFL roster without like being that great of a football player. I'm not going to say he wasn't, you know, like he wasn't like yeah, an ace wide receiver right. or like there wasn't anything about his football ability that was incredible. He was just like the most lightning fast kick returner that there was. And so right. maybe maybe that's the Cam Montgomery role. He finds himself and he slots himself in. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm more guarded about that because we've seen enough of Cam put the ball on the ground. But. Like, if we're talking raw ability, it's there. Like, he can do it. Yeah, I mean, you can do some of the same stuff with him that, you know, they did a little bit with Zay Knight last year. Like, you know, when you've got a guy who has that speed, if you if you trust him, you can just, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot. You just sort of draw up three or four plays a game that's like, get the ball in this guy's hands and see what he does with it. I think I want Zay Knight rep that jet sweep. 150 times <laughs> like over the course of last year like he wasn't like quite healthy enough to play and they were like mid-season and like i think we're just gonna redshirt him but when he was healthy enough to like get back to practice like he just stood out on the side and he wrapped that jet sweep like 15 20 times like just over and over again like <laughs> and then he did it in a game and i think he averaged like a first down like 10 yards a carry or something like that it was pretty wild so it could happen but yeah, so there's some speed. I, I think if we're tra- if we're not transitioning, but comparing this to the wide receiver group, I, I feel like the established floor is not there. Like we don't have the guys who have been been there and done it at the collegiate level, not just at, at Rice, but at the collegiate level. I mean, you're talking about, I, I mean, Juma is the most experienced returner and he has that one awesome, awesome game against Old Dominion. But... Played in a total of what, like four other games in his career. Yeah, I, I think that's right, which is not not a lot. So, I mean, you're talking about like last year he played in three games and had 37 carries. Got outrushed by Giovanni Johnson. Yeah. Who does not play running back. Yeah. Probably very, could. Very short. Right. So it's it's kind of thin there. So I'm I'm less confident at, at running back, I think, understandably than I am at at wide receiver. Um, I don't know, man, the Kalen Griffin train. I'm on it. And then we haven't we haven't even mentioned, I will say another guy who I'm curious about. And, you know, I think running back is probably a, a position where it might lend itself to if if you can at least in this offense if you can block and the staff trust you to block and do pass protection and you have talent like there's a there's a reasonable path to the field um which you know might be a bigger ask but Kobe Campbell's the other freshman running back that they're bringing in and he's kind of a, a do it all kind of guy he's 5'7 165 uh, a a tad bit bigger than than cam um but he's a he's a guy who could factor into the return game rice doesn't really have 
I mean, outside of, of Austin Trammell, who's probably going to be overutilized this year with punts and offense, they don't really have a kick return guy penciled in. So you could see Kobe step in there. Uh, I think Jawan King lined up maybe at, at kick return a couple times. Maybe he's the alternate guy last year. So the the running backs will will make their presence felt. Ari Broussard, probably one of the more consistent special teamers as well. So they're going to get used. And outside of quarterback, this might be the position that, you know, if you have a breakout here, like the collective ability of this offense and potential this offense could could skyrocket exponentially. Like if Rice can run the football like Rice wants to run the football, like watch out. <laughs> okay, next unit. Bum, so we've done wide receivers. We've done running backs. Now, bump back to my my side. Let's take, I'm going to go with tight ends. Next on the docket. Okay, so going through our tight ends. So where to start? So there's, I think what's interesting when you talk about tight ends and college football, particularly in this offense, is that there's almost like, depends on how like coachy, true football-y you want to go. There's a couple different positions um, in, in this room and there's several different things that these players are going to be asked to do. And and because of that, I, I feel like you kind of have to split them out. And from the Rice perspective, I, I feel like the most valuable tight end that they have is, well, this one's probably not too debatable. It, it's it's Jack Bradley. And that is Jack Bradley. Um shoot that might be a bit shocker i'm really really i'm looking at jack bradley he's kind of my my breakout pick i like his his future um but jordan myers other j um <laughs> jordan because he's probably the he is the most versatile tight end on the roster might be the most versatile player this is a guy who returned a punt against utep last season and is the backup punt returner on this team how many tight ends in the country are on the two deep at punt return. Not a lot. It's probably just Jordan. So yeah. he he's one of the guys like he can catch the ball, he can block. Um, I don't know if he had much in the way of carries last year, but he, he did in, in 2018, I believe. Like you can stick it in his gut at the goal line and he can run through some people. So versatility wise, like Jordan Myers is the the most underrated offensive weapon on this team. Yeah, he's you know it's he's small for a for a for an FBS tight end. He's he's listed at what six two two sixteen. Um, but what's funny is like you you'd think saying that you'd be like oh this guy's you know a, a wide receiver and all but of all but you know officially listed roster position. But they use him as a blocker quite a bit. Um, and you know he's not the most physically dominant guy at that position, but he does everything you expect a tight end to do and more. And like, he's not a, a you know, a mismatch weapon as a receiver and he's not a, a, a road grader as a blocker, but he just kind of does everything. I mean, he's, he's led the team in catches from the tight end position the past two seasons. And I, I mean, he's just, he's just out there on every play which kind of tells you all you need to know about what the staff thinks of him yeah and like especially it's for him leading being the leading receiver because 
there are players that that Rice kind of has has recruited and brought in with the mind of, you know, this is going to be a field stretcher. That's not not what Myers is, is supposed to do. Like he he doesn't have that top end speed. And, you know, I mean, tight end, like I guess, I guess you're George Kittle, like that's not going to happen. But but for the most part, like that's not what he is like, like Robert French. I'm thinking about like Jonathan Sanchez. Uh, Nate Camper, freshman, they're bringing in. Those are kind of the guys that have been built in that mold of kind of the the taller, lankier, like get open, use the middle of the field and space and, and catch the football. So all the more impressive that, you know, other guys have been brought in with the the, you know, purported purported purpose of catching the football. And, and Myers just keeps catching the football. So. Big fan of what he is. I, I I think Robert French is probably one, and so this is one one another you know preseason caution. You know, no coach has ever said a bad thing about their team in spring. Like everybody's <laughs> having the best spring of their career. Which, yeah. You know, like everything is sunshine and roses. But all of the players that were talked up the most, I, I think Robert French was one of the ones who you know folks were particularly high on. And he kind of started to see a little bit more of the field at the end of last year. And, you know, Coach Mike Bloomgren likes to talk about rebounding. And, and French is 6'5", yeah. 250, somewhere in there. Like, has the size and the frame to go up and do that. Um, so, you know, I think you're going to see more of him on the field this year than you did last year. Um, oh, again, one of those, you know, we try not to project too much, but projecting some. So you have those two guys, and then you have you know the road graders, Jagger Bull and Jack Bradley. Jack Bradley was one of th- three freshmen last year that played in every single game, and you know didn't light up the stat sheet because he's a, a blocking guy, but did did have a couple vertical stretches in, in the spring where he went you know over the top and, and and hauled the football in. So has a little bit of that component to his game. This is really the first year that I think Rice has a guy that they trust to do all of the things. And I think that guy might be Jordan Myers for all of them, but the backup, <laughs> the second behind <laughs> them, like if you want somebody to go up and, 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 you know, catch the ball, you know, Robert French is your next option. Jack Bradley's going to be your blocker. And then, you know, you got... You know, Nate Camper came in a little bit lean, 6'6", like 200, like bulked up a little bit this summer, but it's probably, you know, probably a redshirt kind of guy, but I, I like his his upside in the future if he can right. get a little bit bigger. Um, but then you got, you know, special teams, and I think Jagger Bull is kind of a, a special teams kind of ace there that they'll keep on the field. So mm-hmm. I, I think they have enough different options that the tight end position will be solid. Yeah, I think you feel like, I mean, you get back every contributor at this position and nobody, none of them were flashy last year. Um, If you at least get what you got out of sort of your top four guys, uh, uh, Myers, Bull, French, and, and Bradley, like if you get what you got out of them last year, like you'll take that. Um, you would love for one of them to really flash as a receiver for French or, I don't know, maybe Sanchez 
to, you know, bust out as that true, like, big mismatch receiver, the guy who can, you know, take it up the seam and 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 just be a serious vertical threat from the tight end position. That would be a huge boost. I don't know if I'm counting on that to happen. Well, like, and, and I will say, like, let's not if we're trying to be as, as re- reasonable, you know, as we can and, and not get greedy. I'm OK with that. Like right. if all yeah. if you don't need for the offense to get better, like the tight end was not the wink link last year no. and it's not going to be this year. Like if you get the same level of production as you do, if Jordan Myers stays healthy, tight end's going to be fine. If you get anything else, it, it's gravy. Like Rice doesn't need a big uptick at this position. They're covered. Right. And, and you know, like in this offense, like unless they just really decide that, you know, it, I don't know if we'll get to the quarterbacks in a bit, but like if Collins or, or Johnson just really blooms as a passer and they just look at this team and say, Hey, we got a lot of playmakers at receiver. We're going to throw the ball a lot more. Um, and, and I think you've seen enough uh, sort of mutability of this coaching staff to say that they might be willing to do that. But like, even if they do, you know, we're looking at receiver and saying, oh, they have all these guys and all of these dudes could step up. And we're looking at running back and we're saying, oh, some of these guys could catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. And we're looking at these tight ends and we say, oh, we really want somebody to step up and be the true threat from the tight end position. Well, there's only even on a team that's really chucking the ball around. There's only so many catches to go around. Like, yeah, I, th- you- I think the uptick you're going to see is, you know, Rice didn't have any touchdowns at the tight end position last year, which is kind of bizarre. Because when I think, crazy, yeah, yeah, when I, when I think about like how this, you know, I, if I think Stanford, you know, the, where right, where right. Think, of, his, think about Bloom's offenses at Stanford, right? Like you don't need like to develop. You know, you don't need Zach Ertz. I would if Zach Ertz has like a cousin, like <laughs> any like if if another Ertz wants to come along, that's fine. But like you got to get some red zone looks. And I know that's, that's something yeah. that, that was looked at in the spring and, and Jordan Myers is he's going to have two or three touchdowns or like the position as a whole. So you're going to get just some tight end, tight end touchdown regression up. Right. And like, and, and, like simple variants, I think right. might suggest that there will be a little more receiving production out of this, uh, out of this group. But, you know, I'm not expecting you know, like Marshall last year when like half of their like top six receivers were tight ends or like the, you know, that year at Stanford where they had like Ertz and Levine Toilolo and there was like another a, guy. Too. There was there was there were three of them. And I can't remember who the, what their one's name was, but they were all ended up being NFL tight ends. Uh, was it Austin Hooper? Yeah. Was he on, was he on that Is that right? Squad? I can't remember. Maybe he was later, but there were three. NFL tight ends. Kobe Fleener. Yes, Fleener. That's right. There you go. He played for the Colts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I expect you to know every single Colts (laughs) tight end. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like any of those guys, if they have any brothers, any cousins. Hey, Sean Taylor's brother is uh, is playing in the in the secondary for Rice. So So why not? Right. We accept all pro standout siblings. If you're going to miss, miss with a good genetic makeup. I'm starting to sound like a good, like an NFL scout, right? Maybe that's, 
I can moonlight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got wide receivers, running backs, tight ends. Next up is quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. Mix it in. I like that. All right. Uh, yeah. Your spicy hot take is the season is going to start in four-ish weeks, whenever it does. Uh, who's under center? Snap one. Uh, and I'll I'm going to go prediction too. I'll go with Mike Collins. All right. I'm going to be not terribly controversial, and I'll go with Mike Collins too. Your rationale? Yeah. Um, I do think. I remember when they first brought him in, there was a part of me that was kind of like, man, are we re- like, it, it's starting to get worrisome that, you know, we're now. Oh, I went there. Grad yeah. transfer tight end or grad transfer quarterback third For year. The third straight year. Like what, what is the staff not doing in recruiting or evaluation or development that you're having to rely on a grad transfer quarterback in three straight years like that? You know, unless you're Lincoln Riley then that's not really the model you want to set, right? Um, but after going back and looking at Collins and, and watching his tape and doing some study on him, uh, there are inconsistencies. And he's not a sure thing. Like, this is not, you know, bringing in Kyler Murray or, or Baker Mayfield or even Jalen Hurts. But uh, he has real, like, you look at Stewart or or Stankavage when they brought those guys in. And it was clear that part of that was just that uh, they needed guys and, and, you know, they were in the roster was in transition and they needed guys who could maybe play in the system or they, you know, were, were still developing and stuff like that. Collins to me strikes me as the sort of dude where it's like, Oh, you know, that sometimes you just, you have the opportunity to get a guy that has a lot of talent and you just take that guy no matter and, what. And I the think rest that's... Of roster looks like. That's the differentiation that, you know, setting aside the, you know, relentless, reckless optimism. I think that's the part that has me most optimistic. We're setting aside the optimism, talking about the optimism. That's what I'm I'm most curious about with, you know, with Mike Collins, because in Stankavage, you had a guy that was on an SEC roster but never played. And then... With with Stewart, you had a guy that was on an FCS roster and played, you know, most of a season um, with and got injured. Um, this is your first guy that you've brought in that had power five talent and started the game in a power five offense and played good. Well, like. I, like, obviously, if he, you know, lit the world on fire, he's still a starting quarterback at TCU right now and not at Rice. But the fact that, like, you're you're upping <laughs> the pedigree of who you've brought in. Like, I, I don't think it's a controversial take to say Mike Collins is the most co- talented quarterback at the time he was brought in that this staff has brought in. Absolutely. Yeah, including that, that's freshmen. The thing. So... That's ultimately why he's my pick is that he's just got this raw talent that I'm not sure they've had in a guy. Um, his arm is huge. Uh, he's pretty mobile. Um, n- not the kind of runner that Johnson is, not that level of speed or elusiveness, but I, I don't know. He's one of those big dudes that doesn't look like he's going very fast, but then you look down and all of a sudden he's chewed up 30 yards. 
Um, we're not like we're not going to compare everything to Stanford because that gets old. But do you remember Kevin Hogan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like kind of like that. Like not fast, but could pick up a third down. Like tough enough to take a hit and keep going. Yeah, and, and pretty good at like using that that mobility to extend plays and then kind of make a throw on the run like his he's not one of the i don't know not like a sort of aaron Rodgers type you know whatever that's just gonna like uncork a bomb on the run and drop it into a bucket 50 yards down the field but the kind of guy who can escape pressure and roll out and uh you know make a play on the run that you need to sometimes when things break down uh his mechanics can be pretty inconsistent uh and that affects his accuracy a lot and that, to me, is the number one thing that they need to improve with him for him to be the kind of sort of consistent playmaker that they need this position. Um, but he doesn't have to make a whole lot of improvement to be far and away the most dynamic option Rice has had a quarterback since uh, well, since uh, 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 Dreyfus, Dreyfus, Dreyfus Jackson. Dreyfus Jackson, probably. Jackson yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so... To play devil at devil's advocate a, a little bit, so as as far as you know what we've seen at, at Rice, like I think it was telling to some degree that Giovanni Johnson was the guy at the top of the depth chart this spring. Um, and I think if we're going in just with the old like old school football, you know, mentality of you ride with your starter until the backup's clearly better. From what I saw in nine practices this spring, I can't tell you that Mike Collins was definitively better than Giovanni Johnson. I, I think, like, maybe we've talked about, like, the arm ability and arm talent and arm strength. Like, we could see how he could get there, and we've seen some of that in flashes. Um but I, I don't think from, you know, if you're rolling it out and, you know, what's most likely to happen this year, like, I don't think it's that much of a, you know, stretch to say it's it's might be more likely or equally likely that Giovanni Johnson, because of what he can do with his legs, if the staff lets him run and opens the offense up a little bit, you know, the offense might be just as productive with him as it could be with Mike Collins. Right. And that's. Like, uh, I think I think something that a lot of people don't quite realize as, as much as I don't know, is it sort of cliche because, you know, the zone read and, and various spread option packages and all these things are such a standard for, part of college football now. But like having a quarterback that can run is really, really, really valuable. It's a cheat code. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, OK, Lamar Jackson is an outlier. And there are reasons why, even if you have a good running quarterback, that you don't want to do it all that often in the NFL. But, like, the Ravens didn't do anything weird on offense this year uh, in, uh, in the 2019 NFL season. They just had Lamar Jackson and ran him a lot. And, I mean, he's a cheat code. And they, uh, like, they had the best running game in the NFL. And that set up them for one of the most the best passing games in the NFL, even though Jackson isn't like quite as advanced a passer. He's better than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, but that it did so many things for them. That's a that's a digression. Running your quarterback is really, really valuable. Like 
for those of you that have seen some of the stuff I put on Twitter, I actually have a new Twitter account. It's at Jay Carter Spires. If you want to follow me there, I'll be posting some more data type stuff and doing graphs and promoting the stuff I do for the roost there. But Hashtag I posted, analysis. yeah, I posted a graph on there that was um, the total EPA uh, put up by Rice's quarterbacks last year and uh, Mike Collins at TCU in 2018 broken down by run and pass. And EPA, for those of you not familiar with it, is it expected points added. And it's just a metric that measured basically how good a play was, acknowledging that like all yards are not created equal in football, right? Like a four-yard gain on third and two is better than a th- four-yard gain on second and 25. It, it basically just like equalizes things per situation and gives you like a, a value of how good a play was. Um Normally, for a comparison like that, you would want to do like EPA per play because that normalizes for number of plays. And, you know, that doesn't give you like it, it just makes it more more even comparison. The reason I put that one in total EPA for the season is because Giovanni played in four games and only started one of those games. And one of those games, I think he was in was at UTSA. He was in for like a play. Yeah. Like literally one play and that was it. And he contributed nearly as much as a runner on the season, uh, as measured by EPA as like Wiley green did as a passer. Like that's. And Wiley that's green how... started six games last year. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> Something like that. So that just gives you an idea of like, of how valuable running the quarterback can be. And even if, like, you'd like to think that Giovanni is going to take some step forward as a passer. And, you know, if he takes a solid leap and it's neck and neck, like, there's a really solid argument for saying, well, if you've got both of these quarterbacks that are kind of good and they're both talented but inconsistent passers, you take the better runner. Because, like, you can do a lot of things with that. Now, uh, Giovanni's kind of a skinny guy, like... Maybe you worried about keeping him healthy. He he certainly had some troubles with that last and that year. Was, but... That was the issue last year. Like he right. lit things yeah. up and we're like, oh my goodness. Like it was the Marshall game, like yeah. running like crazy. Yeah. And we're like, oh my goodness, we have the answer. And then it goes down. And at that point, like Rice has, has started six. I think it is six. I, I think that's the number. At least started five, probably played seven different guys at quarterback over the past two years. Yeah. Like the one thing, the one thing Rice needs this year, like if I can ask for any wish list is I want one guy for 12 games. And if and if you're telling me that we're guaranteed like four healthy games of Giovanni with the higher ceiling and we get 10 healthy games of Mike Collins, like I like. I feel like the offense as a whole, like and I'm that's what I'm trying to piece together just a little bit of big picture like how much of the offense can be fixed by having one consistent quarterback not even a great quarterback just average i mean you saw like uh tom stewart wasn't exactly we've talked and much about like oh the quarterback play got so much better when jerry mack took over the quarterback's room and oh look at how good they were on offense the last three games and they won those games tom stewart wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire in those Which three games. I do think you mentioned that, and I don't know if we hit this, but there was a, a switcheroo 
in in the spring the Robbie Picasso who coached quarterbacks up to this point is moving to running backs and Jerry Mack offensive coordinator who sat in on the quarterback meetings after the UTSA game last season is the quarterbacks coach full-time I think that combined with more talent and and the fact that you feel good about like I'm just guessing Collins based on talent that's not a super like I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that guess and I'm not invested in either. There's not like, I don't know, some quarterbacks you look at as a, as a fan or an analyst or from a fan perspective. And you say, I don't know which guy's going to win. I want this guy to win because I think he can be better. I don't have a dog in this fight. Like I think either one can whoever scores more points. Yeah. I think either one can do really great things in this offense. It just, just just give me one and let them stay healthy. Yeah, the healthy piece and then the 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 piece that this offense is, has been missing is the accuracy piece. And neither yep. neither of those guys um was very accurate at all this spring. I mean to to the point where you know you notice that this guy's dropping dimes. Like I, I didn't see that. Um they're both I mean I, I'm looking here Giovanni uh 56% completions last year uh you know small sample time small sample size 18 attempts you take mike collins 2018 and 2019 together at tcu and you're at uh 57 yeah (laughs) so like that'll be the thing And, and if we get back to having you know you know better than attempts on air and we put these guys against you know the rice defense even in practice uh and we're able to pull together and and get if somebody can get complete 60% of their passes and just keep the drive alive. Yeah. I'm optimistic. I, I feel like this is another place where it's hopefully like, the floor. You've like, got, you've got playmakers at receiver, like just give them a chance. Yeah. So I, I feel cautiously optimistic that yeah. like, we're going to get good quarterback play. And if you give me average quarterback play, like you win a couple more games. Right. Even if if you you win a couple more games, just get the level they got out of Stewart in those last three games. Yeah. You give me 12 games of that. This team can go to a bowl. If if there's a bowl season. Yeah. And with Stewart, like that kind of production clip, you're talking about a guy who throws for 200 yards a game two touchdowns and a pick modest. It doesn't sound like much, but it's a whole lot better than what rice has gotten the last two years. Yeah. And, and I would take that. Yep. Like, I I don't think you can have a whole lot of certainty in this position, but I think it's, it's entirely reasonable to think that it's, they have a pretty good shot at reaching that level of production. Hey, and if, everything goes crazy again and we get down to whatever string we're on tj mcmahon juco guy that they brought in this year uh completed 66 percent of his passes and junior college and you can say yeah that's that's junior college well rosner led junior college in touchdowns and was a monster <laughs> for a receiver at rice and i'm not saying that that correlates perfectly um but mcmahon will hit his receiver yeah, and if it gets but, to the point where also, Rice has to pull all the plugs or people are hurt and they just like complete the pass, 
I'm just saying, dropping that name for later. Hopefully right. we don't have to use it. Like, and, and one quick aside before coming back to that, you know, for a third string quarterback, you could do worse than Wiley Green, given that he has as much starting experience as he does and that he knows the offense as well as he does. So if it gets to that disaster point, like, I don't know, I'd feel better than most teams would on their third string quarterback. But with McMahon and the accuracy, like accuracy is sometimes one of those things with quarterbacks that is just sometimes you're just accurate or you're not. And it's not the level of competition. It's not the offense. It's whatever. Some guys are just accurate and some guys just aren't. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we both think that McMahon is more likely than not to redshirt this year. But I just I there's a lot of upside. Like this he year. needs there's to redshirt for the sake of the position. Yeah, please, please, <laughs> please don't let us be looking at because if he doesn't. Yeah. Oh, man, we'll get there. So but yeah. right now, you know, we say Mike Collins, no, I don't 60, 40, probably the probable yeah. starter over over Giovanni. I would imagine uh, if he gets the nod, he's going to have a, a good amount of of leash, kind of similar to how, how Wiley did um, last year. Um, and there's no reason if, if Giovanni's not the starter. There's every reason to keep using him the way they did in like the the UTEP game last year, where you're yeah. just uh, absolutely you because you know, he he's that good of a runner and can pass well enough that you know you can put him in in those those limited packages and still have that be a positive contributor to your offense. Yeah, I I completely agree, and that leaves us with two position lefts two positions left are we going with spicy hot fullback takes or are we sticking with the offensive line let's do the offensive line let's uh save the best, best for last best for last all our fullback fans uh out there. yes yes brian we are gonna make you listen to the very end of this so tough luck yeah you'll you'll stick it out <laughs> we believe in you i know we we got marcus hibbert uh uh, Brian Hebert, freshman fullbacks dad. I, I know he'll he'll check this out too. So we got at least two diehard fullback fans. Yeah, the the two of you we know will get to the end of this. Don't uh, don't uh, scouts on or you're not allowed to hit that skip button. Yeah, we'll know. <laughs> we won't know. But offensive line. Okay, so this is a really interesting position. This is a so first off, we're going to start with Isaac Clarkowski. Because how can you not start with the 300-pound walk-on astrophysicist as the the focal point of your offensive line? Um, you know, we I've we I probably put a couple stories up on him uh, over the end of last year, but how he came on last season. We, we've talked about him a lot, yeah, but it's just it's an incredible story. I mean, not to revisit all of it, but to revisit a little bit. You know, finds out midweek is like, hey, we know you were playing defensive tackle. You're going to play center now and go spend an hour in a hotel room with, you know, the graduate transfer Stanford center and who's just gonna, let him. Who's going to teach you how to snap in an hour and then you're good. And and, you know. So first off, that's impressive, but then. You go past that and and you you look at you know who he beat out like Shea Baker could be if he played was playing center this year he could be a top five center in conference USA easily like I yeah. 
I have not broken down extensive amounts of center tape, but to, to start as young as he did and play as many snaps as he has in an offense that is, um, you know, so dynamic with what they ask the offensive line to understand and know, like Shea Baker, who's, who's going to play one of the guard spots this year, um, would be a fantastic center. And the fact that Isaac Klarkowski is good enough to, I'm not going to say beat him out, because I, I feel like it's it's more of a, a maximizing the strength of the line together. Like, I think right. Shea Baker yeah, is still yeah. probably a better center than Isaac is, because Isaac's only been doing it for, what, three games last year and, and yeah. a spring. Um, but together, I really like that one-two punch. And then we have Clay Servin, who he's a guy that, you know, you do see NFL scouts come into Rice games and and come to Rice practices. And when those scouts have showed up, like, I have noticed them standing over by the offensive line and looking at Clay Servin, you know, sophomore Clay Servin. And I'm not telling you that this guy is going to be a sneaky, you know, first-round draft pick next year. But, you know, he has the measurables. He has the strength. Um, and he's gotten some reps under his belt, and he's the kind of guy that has the potential to be a left tackle, not by necessity, but like the guy that you put out there and you trust to have the quarterbacks back. And if you get that and you keep your quarterback upright and you keep him healthy, like that that left side of the line from Servin Baker to Karkowski, I feel really good about. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I don't know, at least one spot over, like, Cole Garcia, you know, was kind of the odd man out last year. He just, you know, you brought in some grad transfers and, you know, Shea locked down a spot at guard. And so you, he kind of got pushed out of the lineup, but he was really good as a freshman. Yeah, and I'm not going to pretend that my opinion on the matter carries maybe any weight at all, but somewhat. Uh, Cole Garcia, you know, handing out Roosties, at the uh, end of the 2018 season, he was my offensive rookie of the year. And there was a handful of guys that, you know, played at like Wiley Green made his debut and and gave fans some hope there. You know, quarterback, the first conference win of the Mike Bloomgren era. That's <laughs> that's important. But uh, but yeah, Cole, Cole Garcia was my pick for for offensive, you know, rookie of the year. And he was just he, he might might not have like the like the you know, Clay Servin, like the rock body type, but like the dude is a brawler and just like, you know, you try and quantify effort. He gives all of his effort. Yeah. And his effort is really good. And it was good enough to start as a true freshman in this offense and had not rice brought, not brought in three graduate transfers last year, you know, you know, had a good chance to start this year. So I, I feel reasonably confident. And Cole, like like you said, like he's he's done it already. Like I feel like all of the other positions were asking, you know, will this guy emerge? Will this guy be any good? Can this guy step up? Like Cole has done it and done it well. So that's a strong suit. And then behind him is a a point of contention, maybe among fans and and you know <laughs> folks at, at Rice is Isaiah Floyd, who you know we we hyped up last year at defensive tackle with the Braylon Carroll. And, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised with how fantastic Elijah Garcia was last year. Right. And, 
I think that's as big of a reason why Isaiah Floyd never got on the field as much with the defense as anything else is because you had a an upperclassman who earned the job and, you know, got better because of the competition. So Isaiah shifts over from defense to offense, you know, played some offense in high school. So it's right. not like this is a complete foreign flip. Right. But, he w- And he was a guy that there was some uncertainty about which side of the ball he would play on coming in. So, like, it, it's not a surprise to see this switch arguments upon arguments everybody (laughs) wants him which is probably a good problem to have so i don't i don't know he was one of the guys that like the shortened spring i feel like hurt him more than others yeah Uh, one one of those guys who really could have used the extra reps because because like like i was talking about with cole like he's done it he knows the offense cole garcia is one of the like between him shay and clay like those three guys can explain the Rice offense better than most everybody else in that room. Offensive so, linemen are always the smartest guys on the team. Right. This is true. I mean, you have a rocket scientist. That's Isaac. We didn't <laughs> even get to him. Um, but but yeah, like so to have that disadvantage of being competing for a guy at those positions who who has that wealth of experience. Like I, I like Isaiah's you know physical tools and like his ability to just push you off the ball. Like I like, I, I, I think I, I saw enough and I'm hopeful enough that he can stick on the offensive side of the ball and maybe he slides in next year or the year after. Um, but yeah, well, and he, was, the, he was running with the second team by the end. Of, well, by the, the forced end of the spring, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was. And that was a, Rice did they did a lot of it was hard to get a good handle on the offensive line because they moved so many pieces in and out just to see what they had. I think a, a notable yeah. change, which I don't think we've talked about on this pod much at, at, at all, was uh, Mike Bloomgren. So Sanders Davis takes over as the offensive line coach this year, uh, replacing Joe Ashfield. And Mike Bloomgren has basically camped down with the offensive line like this was his bread and butter. He was the run game coordinator at Stanford, the offensive right. line coach before he became the O.C., and this is what he does, and this is what he's good at. And the offensive line has been bad so far uh, under Bloomgren. Like, it's had moments where you're like, ah, I get it. But, like, they just hasn't had enough consistency to the level that I think he wants it, it to be. Inconsistent is, is the way I would describe it. Yeah, I mean, maybe bad's harsh. But, like, from the standard that he wants and he envisions, like, I know he hasn't been satisfied with where it's been. Right, absolutely. Because yeah. I feel I mean, like there's... In so a lot of ways, inconsistent is bad. So, like, it's especially not, at this, yeah. this group, right? Yeah. And th- there's been there's been moments, and there, there's a lot of good guys. I mean, you know, you took it. Justin Gooseberry and Nick Leverett are both with NFL teams right now in training camp. Like, so there's been some talent. Like, it hasn't been a train wreck by by any means. Um, there's been a lot of good things, but as far as a cohesive unit, um, haven't really seen that yet. And the moving parts is probably as big of a challenge with that as any, as we haven't had the same uh, handful of guys. Right. So uh, as part of those transitions, everybody got flipped around. We saw Derek Ferraro. Um, he's a guy that we've kind of seen a little bit. He got some run at, at first team uh, tackle um, when clay was out. And then I, so mm-hmm. he's a guy that, you know, maybe your sixth man or something like that, that you can trust to, to, to know the offense and, and kind of do a couple things. Brant Peterson is another guy. If we if we go over to the right side, we haven't really talked as much at that tackle spot. Jovan Wolford, uh, grad transfer coming in. He's going to compete with Brant Peterson. 
I I like the Jovan Wolford is a first off the bus kind of guy. Like you just yeah. walk up and you look up and you're just like, you you look like a tackle. <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm I'm five foot six. Like I look it up at everyone that's not named Cam Montgomery. Yeah, it's it is absolutely like if you've ever seen. Like I was at, at Alabama when Cam Robinson was there. And I remember one time I was walking over to the stadium because I live pretty close by to Bryant Denny, right as the team was leaving their hotel, which is right near the stadium. And I saw Cam Robinson come out of there. And, you know, he's one of those dudes that's like 6'6", 325, uh, you know, in that range and doesn't look like he's carrying an ounce of extra fat on him. Yes. Like, I, I think people who are, are kind of football laymen look at offensive linemen and they're like, oh, yeah, they're those like big fat, big, like big, tall, fat guys. Right. No, no, they are not. They are like seeing up a, a person who up close, who is six, six and 300 plus pounds and doesn't have an ounce of fat, an ounce of extra fat on them is terrifying. And that's what these guys look like. Absolutely terrifying. And and he, you know, Javon told me he was probably 275, 280 this spring. And he told me that, you know, I want to get I want to get up back. I think 300 is is the weight I want to play at. And I was like, OK. And, you know, pull up the the depth <laughs> chart that that they, you know, because people say that I, I two 300 is a weight. I've just been like, I don't know what that means um, on the smaller side. But, yeah, I go check the roster. and He's at 295. Um, there we go. And after looking at him, like he didn't just eat a bunch of Big Macs, like, <laughs> like this dude is yeah. is gonna mess some people up. So I, I'm really really optimistic there. I, I I he'd be my pick to to win out at right tackle. And if that's that's the line you're you're rolling out, I feel good about it. And I feel most confident that Bloomgren's gonna be there in the room. Like this is a guy who's done it, you know. He can coach the offensive right. line and Rice has the talent. And like, I mean, shoot, I like if you're going to like Connor Hughes, um, Reagan Riddle, you know, Braden Nutter, the guy who brought it, they brought in this yeah. year kind of like center guard. Like he's already at 300 local kid from, from Tomball. Like I like the pipeline. I think we have depth to that. Not a guy that you're going to ask to play, you know, 60 snaps a game, but can play 15. Like, yeah, be in for a package here and there. Like, again, we're we're better. We're we're in year three of 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 the the Mike Bloomgren era, and the depth is kind of building out. And you know, next year should be the year that if you're bringing in a transfer, it is one, and it's because right. you found your one guy, and he's going to go play, I don't know, left guard or something. Yeah, or again, one of those situations where you just have the opportunity to get a guy that's like. It's not because you don't like the guys on your roster. It's because this guy is really good, and if you've got if you've got a spot for him and he wants to come, you take him. Absolutely. Like that's where you want to be with transfers. Is like maybe you have one spot where I don't know things just work out that you need a guy there, and so you take a guy. And it, ever any other transfers that you take, it's just got to be like this guy is really good and wants to play for us and we've got the spot for him. Yeah. And so like, I feel like probably Mike Collins, Javon Wolford definitely check those boxes of you're good. We have an opening. 
plug you right. in. Christian McStravick is probably there-ish. Colin Riccatelli at at kicker. That was um, a need one. <laughs> that was that was a big need. So you have those, but they they did a nice find of of going through uh, JUCO at Adam Sheriff as a guard who brought in. He kind of was just getting adjusted to everything this spring. So I, I you know, he's a guy a guy that will be in the mix a little bit. Has more playing time on the offensive line in college than Isaiah Floyd does, um, which right. isn't the end all be all, but is important. Um, so yeah, a couple nice pieces in, and that leads us to. So we have the, the drum moment you've all been waiting for. The moment you've all yeah. been waiting for. Fullbacks. I, I can put a drum roll. Yeah. All right. Fullbacks. Um, the big, the big name here. The the majority of of the the action is is with Brendan Suckley. Um, your fullback is not a position where you're gonna have more than one guy taking snaps most of the time. Um, Brendan was forced into action uh, really like before conference play started last year after uh, Reagan Williams got hurt, uh, the grad transfer they brought in from Stanford, which was disappointing to me uh, just because every time they gave Williams the ball, which was not a lot, but they they did give him a, him a couple of those fullback dives and he would just, he would get hit by like three guys all at once. And then he would carry all three of those guys for about, you know, he, I don't think he ever got more than like six yards on a carry, but it was really fun to watch him on those couple of plays, but they were really, really excited about him coming in. Like, cause you like there, there aren't ready made fullbacks in college football. There's barely ready made fullbacks in the NFL. (laughs) Yeah. to, To find somebody who has already been there, done that to plug him in. Like that was a luxury. So losing him last year, stunk but because of that it forced brendan's brendan suckley to be the lead fullback for basically the entire season yeah and and it took a while for him to get his sea legs under him and he maybe kind of didn't really get to his best until they had reached that portion of the season where they had kind of cut back the the point where jerry mack kind of took over and they went from kind of 50 50 uh smash mouth bloomgren stuff to to uh you know rpo modern spread 11 personnel stuff smash. from where they've gone from from 50 50 to like more 75 25 in favor of the kind of modern rpo 11 personnel stuff so but at that point brendan's ugly really came on and was playing excellent and just had I know, like I remember, I think it was on several of the plays I highlighted for my film room last year, um, where he just erased people on uh, on these plays. You know, they got him on these like fullback in these ISO plays, um, and and some of that stuff. And he he was great. Um, yeah, the end so. of the season when the offense worked, and you know, that one of the if go back, we'll have to go pull that the film room up because I think he did a good job of of showing that you know Rice did run you know, a lot more of more of a modernized, you know, spread ish kind of offense, but they ran a lot of the same kind of stuff. Um, Like they didn't just take the fullback off the field, which, you know, when you think of, you know, an offensive, you know, spread out, like, you know, Suckley was on the field and he probably played his best. Like I remember, uh, you know, a hit hits against like North Texas and, and UTEP where he just bulldozed guys and just opened up lanes and they're, you know, let guys like Giovanni Johnson just waltz wide through. Like Giovanni had a lot of wide holes last year. Um, yeah. And that's that's a credit to the blocking. 
And so also and, he's uh, like, I don't, I, I don't remember what he was listed at last year. I, I think you, you noted in the preview that he's put on some weight in the off season. I, I think he's currently listed at six two two fifty seven, which is the platonic ideal of foot of fullback builds. I mean, that's like, that's this like is, a, I, I need to that's make like this Vontae my Leach right there. Vontae, uh, when I was thinking Vontae fullbacks, Leach. that was the there's name a, actually. There's an NFL came, fullback reference for you. That came to my head because he is, you know, he's the prototypical fullback, right? Vontae he did it Leach, for, uh, I don't know. My NFL knowledge doesn't go back Ravens, much, much earlier than like 2005, but like LaRon McClain. There's a, there's a Bama reference for you. There you go. Um, and one of the one of the Watt brothers play fullback. Um, yeah, um, Derek, Derek, yes, Derek Watt. There you go. Um, yeah. And so this will be the first. So last spring, spring of 2019, you know, Brendan Suckley converted, he came in as a tight end. And so last spring was really his first like introduction to the position. Cause you know, you, it's hard to just get tight ends. Like most everybody comes in and playing something else. Um, yeah. And so it really was a, a learning curve for him. So this was the first spring he's gotten as a starting fullback. And the second fall, he'll be at fullback. And I feel like for him, confidence was a big piece of just knowing what you're supposed to be doing. Because, you know, I, f- I feel like it, it's different. Like Luke Armstrong, the other guy, came from, he moved back, you know, from offensive line to tight end, I, or from offensive line to fullback. and. Yeah. Versus Suckley moving from tight end um, to fullback. There's a bit of a different um, adjustment you have to make there as far as right. what you're responsible for for knowing, especially on the blo- the blocking schemes. So I, you know, I'm I like what I've seen so far from him. And you know, if we're you know talking about positional confidence, I'm fullback's probably up there with. I I, I feel very confident that they're going to be fine. Yeah, um, it's it's pretty notable that fullback was the other position because uh, if you're it's weird. sometimes like large swaths of the 2018 rice season just like vanish from my memory. And then I have to I have to go back and look at them like, oh, right. They had like Gio Gentosi, the fullback they brought in from UCLA, who UCLA. once they got him more involved in the action, he did pretty well. Yeah, UCLA yeah. scored so, his first touchdown since yeah, junior of, high. Right. In his final collegiate game. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Yeah. Um, but so that's the other position, because, you know, we talked about Williams. So that's the other position besides quarterback where they had brought in grad transfers to be the starter in two successive years. They did not do that this year. There is no grad transfer fullback on the team. I'm not sure where they would have gotten a grad transfer fullback because uh, they might be the last team in the country that uses one. But uh because even Stanford's gone a lot more past spread happy since since Bloom left. But anyway, they did not bring a grad transfer in. And I think that's as much a testament to how much faith they have in Suckley to begin with. Um, the other yeah. name I, I think that's of note here, uh, you mentioned Armstrong. The other one is Brian Hibbard, who uh, you won't see Rice do this often, uh, but was the top recruit in the country at his position, the number one ranked fullback. Uh, in in among the high school class of 2020, the good, notable good thing trivia about, question: How how many number one overall at their position players has Rice signed and ever? 
<laughs> I have to go back. You might have to go back to the Jess Neely days if if there was one. Uh, Wait, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they had many. Yeah, right. <laughs> Flanker. Back when, back when guys were just listed as end. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think they had a. I don't think they had Cruton rankings back then. But uh, the notable thing about Brian Hibbert being the number one fullback in the country is that he did not play fullback in high school. Uh, he played center actually. Because uh, if you if you go watch his like if you if you if you Google him and look at his his huddle highlight tapes, um, he played in like a single wing offense in high school, and pretty much like almost all the plays on that highlight reel, aside from the ones where he's playing defensive tackle or kick returner, there are some there are some plays on that reel where he's playing kick returner, um, but a ton of those plays are like sweep plays where they've got him after got him pulling and basically lead blocking after he snaps the ball. And so you immediately understand why that both recruiting services and this staff would project him at fullback because he's so good at blocking in space and kind of, because on so many of those assignments, like, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned with Suckley, these ISO plays that ran in earlier in the season, those are unusual plays for fullbacks in that, those plays are drawn up so that from the beginning you have a player that you are supposed to go through the line and block. Like it's the Mike linebacker, like you, the whole way you are blocking the Mike linebacker on a lot of other fullback plays, like your classic power encounter and stuff like that. Your job is to, to wrap around the edge in front of the, in front of the, the back, uh, either inside or outside of the guard, depending on the scheme and stuff like that. But your job is basically to block the first guy that's there. And that, like, <laughs> it it takes some doing. Like, you have to really be able to process things and see what's in front of you. And, like, it's not a simple thing to make those decisions and make those blocks on the fly in space. And you watch Hibbert's reel, at, Hibbert's reel and it's it's really easy to see why he projects to fullback because he's so good at that. And he's so just like, he gets out and he, he snaps the ball and gets out in space. It was just not an easy thing for a center to do. And then just erases guys. Like there, there were a couple of different plays where, you know, even on ones where he's just doing more traditional center things and kind of snapping and climbing off the ball and, and, you know, getting on a linebacker in space. Like he would, he would, he would get up to the second level and like knock one linebacker over and then immediately turn and block another. Like you, it's, yeah, I have not I have not watched a whole lot of fullback play in my time. Like it's it is not a common position these these days, as we've said. But like uh, even from that perspective, it's really really easy to see why this kid is projected as a fullback and why he's going to be such a good one. Yes, I'm big fan and depth. And Rice has a fullback in waiting. No more grad transfer fullback. <laughs> Knock on wood. Like, I, uh, I don't... Undersized high school centers, the future of the fullback position. I mean, like you mentioned, like, it's not like Rice can just, like, go get one. Like, <laughs> there aren't that many grad transfer fullbacks to, no, to get. Yeah. So, like, like, you can find a grad transfer quarterback a dime a dozen. Right. Um, a good one, you know, that's a different story. We're working on it, but... <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, I think <laughs> we've hit everything at this yeah. point. Um, and it only took us an hour and a half, which is frankly better than I expected. 
I, you know, I'll give it. And then one question to close it out because we kind of talked, we kind of hit positions and and dug deep. Um, one to ten, with with ten being, you know, if you could get to Vegas through a pandemic and put put all your money on on the table on, you know, black or whatever. What what is the the craps bet that you're supposed to make? Is it? I don't know. One of the two. <laughs> Been a while. Uh, you know, ten being you're all in. One being is you have no idea what's going on. Um, if I told you, you know, how confident are you that the Rice offense is going to be very improved to the point you're talking. So just for reference, last year, 13th scoring offense, 14th passing offense, 12th rushing offense. So I'm talking like put it at seven, like dead average middle of the pack conference USA. I would I would constitute that as a significant improvement. Yeah. What's your level of confidence that Rice gets there? Um, I'd give it about a seven. Um, I think there's enough reason for optimism here that you can project a, a pretty decent improve. If you could tell me that they were going to start the same quarterback in all 12 in uh, 12, uh, in every, if they were going to start the same quarterback in every game, it will be a 10. Like I, 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 I'd put all my money on it right now. Um, but I don't know. I, like optimism of the off season. We'll, we'll call it a seven, right? Okay, I was I was gonna go put it at an eight. Okay, just just because I Rice is not dealing that the transfer market has not been kind um, to lots of folks and um, the floor man last year. Just yeah. it's been set like there's yeah, only anywhere right. to go from up, and so you have negative regression from anybody else in Conference USA. Um, like you're yeah, and I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about the rest of the conference there, and I like. There are a fair number of offenses that might take a step back. So, yeah, yeah. I feel I, I'm. I'm very confident this offense is going to be significantly better. Now, shoot, if they can get to like a top five offense in Conference USA, like, like say you hit on the quarterback, and you get more than you know, 200 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Say you get a couple 300 yards in game in there, like three, 300 yard games. Like yeah. now you're talking about a team that can contend to conf- for the conference, not being optimistic just because of how good the defense is. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, okay. If you could tell me, like, give me, okay, these three things, legitimately good quarterback play, like on, you know, on like a Conference USA scale, Juma stays healthy and at least two of the the non-Trammel Rosner wide receivers step up and have really good seasons, then, I don't know, I'm not generally a betting man, but I if you gave me those three things, I would, a lot of ask. I would literally be willing to put money on Rice winning the conference. Boom. We're going to we're going to stop there on the offense. We, we will clip that. We will revisit it when you are proved right. When the season happens. <laughs> uh, I think you're right, though, like not getting too pie yeah. in the sky. Like there's a lot of things here that like it well, doesn't. And none of, none of those things are like wild. Thi- like, yes, it's it might be a lot to ask for all three of those things to happen. But none yeah. of those are wild things. Yeah. I feel, and it's not, I'm not asking for like Collins to be the best quarterback in the country or 
or Giovanni to throw for 2,500 and run for 1,500. Like, you know. We'd be okay with that. Just yeah, for the no. Like, <laughs> go ahead. Like, please be my guest. But so there you go. You got hour and a half plus of Rice offense talk, which you can literally find nowhere else. <laughs> so we'll hit you up. We'll get a couple more. We, uh, we give the people what they want. Absolutely. Have a, a previews of the defense uh, special teams. We'll get everything up there and we'll continue to keep you updated as uh, the season goes. But, you know, thanks so much for for sticking around. Go ahead and, and find us. Follow us on all our social media and such at The Roost. Uh, make sure you go subscribe on Patreon. Pick up the preview. If you want even if you want more detail than the hour and a half, you can find it there. I promise. <laughs> um, and it was man, it was good to just talk football. Oh, this was so much fun. Uh, this I, I I needed this very desperately. Uh, but all right, if 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 you stuck it out with uh, stuck it out all the way the end, to the end, and I know you did because I know you needed that fullback talk. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.